This is exactly right. Listen, we're all SVU fans. We love a family drama. We love a mystery to solve. And you got to get hooked into a story with the details. You need the visuals. You need the storylines with the twists and the turns. And that is what June's Journey has and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young girl on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murderer. Dun, 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 dun. This is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. The game is filled with all these beautiful detailed scenes from the 20s, like lavish estates and gardens. And of course, little hidden clues are everywhere. There's twists, turns, catchy tunes. It all takes you deep deeper into this storyline. And if you play well enough, you can make it into the detective club. And there you can chat with other players and even compete with or against them, which is pretty exciting. And you never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed. And can you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. Okay, love that. And guess what? It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. Of the Law & Order franchises, SVU is considered especially watchable. We are the amateur detectives who kind of investigate the vicious felonies these episodes are based on. These are our stories. Dun-dun! Hello, welcome to That's Messed Up. My name is Lisa. And my name is Kara. And you guys know what's up. Every week we pick an episode of the iconic show Law & Order SVU. We dissect an episode. We deep dive into the true crime it's based on. And we chat with a fabulous person that was involved in the episode, usually an actor. And first we have a little catch up time. We see what's going on in each other's lives. Yes. But I would like to start. And I know this will be old news by the time the episode comes out in a minute, but Britney Spears is, is on her way to freedom. Yes. I'm yes, so excited. Yes, yes. Oh, and we got, um, basically I was out to dinner with someone that messaged someone that's worked with Britney's fiance, boyfriend, Sam, to make sure he's a good guy. And he is a good guy. Oh, Sweet, good. happy to work, loves her a lot, was like lit up when talking about her. So... Sorry I interrupt, but that's uh, that was important to find out for me because I was like, I hope he's good. I want her to be able to have a baby with him if she wants. Like yeah. they were had her with a fucking IUD and that she didn't that she didn't want. That's like Handmaid's Tale shit. I mean, yeah. reverse Handmaid's Tale, but like you know <laughs> what I mean. Anyway, I found I I was like scrolling last night and I just it popped up that Jamie uh, Spears, the dad, had been removed immediately. And I was seeing this morning that he could get federal charges for bugging her room and bugging her phones and stuff because that's um, uh, California is a two or I'm sorry, maybe it's Nevada. I don't know where she lives, but like it's a two uh, consent state for recording. I hope he goes to jail. Yeah. Prison. Federal lockup. That's where he he deserves to be. Motherfucker. Yeah, I'm just excited because it sounds like conservatorships are really, really tough to shake. And uh, I'm just happy that Brit Brit is on her way. Well, yeah, because I saw someone writing like some sort of lawyer was like, I work with conservatorships constantly. Never do I work with one where someone has a job. 
Like yeah. usually it's people who cannot work or take care of themselves yes. and they need um, an intervention or like help. But like, he's like, I've never worked with someone that's like making millions working a year and then can't get their shit together. So that's wild. Um, we were at Moon Tower, everyone. Thank you for coming. We liked meeting yes. everyone. Sydney, you were at all our shows. Thank you. Even the empty ones. So I appreciate <laughs> that. That was tough. That There was one. That, no, it was a great festival. I don't know why I just started. <laughs> no, we had a, we had the best time and we are pot. We did a live podcast. We had uh, Margaret Cho there. It was so fun. And I think, um, you know, our stories speak for themselves. If you guys, if we, when we eventually head out on the road, I hope you guys all come see us because uh, we're already. We honestly didn't even story that much. I wasn't even on my phone at all. Someone there was like, did you see that video I posted of you? I was like, I'm having so much fun. I'm not even yeah. on my fucking phone. Uh, well, they also tell everybody to put their phones away, but a couple of our intrepid listeners did take stories of us and break the rules. And I appreciate you guys. So I shared their stories, but. And Margaret looked incredible. So incredible. happy to see her in person. And she brought a little dog in a, in a bag. So that's how you win my heart. Oh, yeah. Her little doggy was super cute. Yeah, she was so cool. And then she just bopped on over to a sold out theater, like a huge theater show right after our podcast. So she's a legend. Um, We had a blast. I don't know if you guys caught this on stories, but Lisa got to open for Bob the drag queen. She did yeah. not even know that until 5 a.m. She picks me up to go to the airport and she's like, I just got I just see this on my schedule. I don't even know if it's real. I don't know if it's a mistake or if she thought literally that she got added to the schedule because they got us tickets to go see Bob the drag queen. I was like, yeah. I don't think they do that. I don't think they add you to the website when <laughs> you're just going to go see the show. Well, you so it was a dress. I'm like, how dare you not tell me you think this is I. Uh, yeah, I had to wear I wore like a mini ball gown and sneakers. Uh, Kara did uh, curl my hair last minute, but it was like, what the fuck? How am I? You, you looked great. A theater Bob show is different than like you're going to do all these shows. Where, but also everything's wrinkled. I mean, uh, traveling is <laughs> it's too much. It's too much, man. That's from Bojack, if anyone gets it. But um, Kara and I went to Barton Springs with some girls and so, so I'm talking to my so my sister and her husband and two kids, one's in college, whatever they and they were here. So I got to see them at the beach. And so we're at dinner and they've been to Austin and I go, you've been to Barton Springs once. And they go, what is that? I go magical spring water. It's natural. It's like it's just this healing, natural, beautiful place. And my sister and her husband goes, oh, it's that pool. And they go, oh, that disgusting pool. And they start talking. I go, no, 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 it's not a gross pool. It's this like nature and there's rock. They go, no. And my, my sister goes, we hated it. So you talking about how nurturing and beautiful it is, we are not going to get what it is. It was a disgusting pool and we hated it. And so I was like, I cannot believe that I'm like, oh, this magical mermaid land. And she and, and them as a family were like, ew. I guess, okay, listen, I guess if you are headed to Barton Springs thinking that you're about to jump into a clear chlorinated pool, that's a disappointment because that's not what it is. But if you're like, oh, I'm going to go to essentially like a lake in the shape of a pool that's like beautiful and like a natural sprint. I just love it. It's so the water is so cold, but you get used to it immediately. If you're hungover, it's like magic. Like I no, love it so much. I felt connected to the earth, to the people there, to each other. I mean, we had an edible, but <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I, it's just like the place I always want to go in Austin outside of the shows. Um, oh, and then we've had really, really good dinners while we were in Austin, mostly at 7-Eleven in our hotel restaurant. <laughs> oh my God. That was, everybody was like, how was Moon Tower? I was like, it was amazing. I was like, the only thing is, is I was 
starving at two o'clock every night, searching the streets for like any food truck that wasn't like shawarma. Like I, cause I'm a vegetarian and I'm like, I just like, I need a grilled cheese. I need like a veggie burger. Like give me something. And we ended up at a seven 11 more than once. And I had to pull Lisa out of a seven 11 cause she was taking her time browsing as a ton of riffraff was like circling us like vultures. I was like, <laughs> we got to get out of here. Like but, it was wild. So we all know what an amazing comedy community we have. The there were comics that were waiting for us outside the 7-Eleven because yeah. they could tell the unsavories were coming to get us. <laughs> and so they yeah, waited that was for very us. cool. And Lisa also, I mean, look, I had like four or five amazing stand-up shows, but I didn't do anything special. Lisa, on top of opening for Bob, also sang Good for You by Olivia Rodrigo with the goddamn comedy jam. And it was Really fun to watch. A dream. I mean, it was it was cool. A gay man came up to me afterwards and went, wow, bold song choice. (laughs) (laughs) And it's true. It's a really hard just for context. Like this is a show that a comedian runs and it's like comedians singing songs like they'll do a little bit about what the song means to them or whatever. And then they'll sing a song with a live band. But it tends towards the rock and roll. It's like a lot of smashing pumpkins, Nirvana, like more hard, like more rock. And then Lisa's like, can I do the number one pop song in the country? Thanks. <laughs> but it's rock and ro- You know, I didn't pick Britney. It is rocky. It is. It is more rocky. I I definitely think she, that song has like a Paramore vibe, which of course I didn't even know that they like wrote the song or, or part of writing it or something. But yeah, like they were, she's the more rocky side of pop. But it just was funny that that's, I think, why that gay man said that to you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's difficult. I mean, I had, I did stop the show twice to restart a verse. So it she took was, me three Take it to- again. Take it again. She was so funny because <laughs> i ha- i love those part where she goes you will never have to hurt the way you know that like it's so fun where yeah. i was like i need to get on track with this verse to finish it but the band annalise knows the drummer the band is incredible they're so talented the shredding the yeah. guitarist was doing i mean i was living I, you have to do it next i mean what would you sing I've been thinking about that and I'd have to look at a list or something. Cause like, I mean, my go-to, like a go-to karaoke song of mine is like Pat Benatar, we belong, but that's like not Rocky enough. Like I would need to do something more rock. And so I would need, I loved like, like at the, at the end of the festival, that band plays the final show. And so everybody's there. The comics were all hanging out on the sidelines. It was so fun. And then at the end, all the comics got on the stage and what did we sing? First we did Nirvana. It we was did one Nirvana. It, it was like the 25 year anniversary of some Nirvana song. Yeah, but then there was something else. You liked a song about a dead mother. No, and then there was a there was Lightning Crashes by Live, which I was obsessed with when I was like in eighth grade. So I was like fully feeling that. And then I was like, it's funny that this is a song about a woman dying in childbirth, and I am for sure the only person that has given birth on this entire stage. <laughs> but um, it was uh, it was so fun. So I would probably do something along the lines of Life. Oh no, it was that. Nickelback song too was so fun. Oh, Big like, J did the Nickelback. Everybody wants to hate on Nickelback, but Big J did a fucking Nickelback song that was crushing. No, so, anyway. for me, the stars were the Sklar brothers doing System of a Down Chop Suey. I don't I... know that song. That didn't mean anything to me. It was like too many fantasies on top of fantasies for that fest for me. So it's like, obviously you're on stage with a band singing like uh, amazing, but like to then also as a, 
I don't think I had the confidence in my youth to like get up on stage and like dance with everyone. So I felt like, oh, I've made it and internally <laughs> as well. And then the chop, and then like all the references to my junior high days, like singing chop suey with everyone was wild. And then I was like dancing for someone and I popped my butt into one of my enemies' dicks and we did have a funny moment. <laughs> we laughed a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> we laughed and I would like to give a shout out to Kara one morning. She knocked on my door to wake me up holding tacos in hand. And so that's kind of a special. I do what I can. I need, I, you know, if you know, Lisa, you know, you don't wake Lisa up really? unless you have, you come with it. I, I, I've seen, I've seen you get mad about FaceTimes waking you up too early. So <laughs> I was like, I'm not going to knock on her door at a festival when she's in there sleeping with blackout curtains and she's getting sleep. So I was like, finally it was like getting into the day. And I know we wanted to go to Barton Springs. So I was like, I'm going to just come with the tacos. <laughs> the only time you've seen me upset, though, is when our friend was vacuuming at 5 a.m. in Palm Springs. No, I know. But also, <laughs> did no, another time a friend like if FaceTimed you and you were like, you woke me up. Like, so you you don't like to be woken up. And that's fine. I hate to be woken up. Well, yeah, because my dad taught me like, yeah, it's like um, you you can always give something back to someone if you take it. But you can never give back sleep to somebody. <laughs> That's an old Russian proverb, I yeah. imagine. <laughs> yeah. If you wake someone up and ruin their sleep for not a real purpose, it's like you stole something they will never get back. And you can't, it's like a sacred. If uh, someone's in deep sleep, they need it. Yes. But also speaking of tacos, thank you to everybody that wrote in and told us that Lisa did not eat donkey. She must have misheard and she ate Birria it's, tacos and- it's like Baria and Bura. It's like, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't speak so, Spanish. Yeah. So they, people are saying that she either ate goat or beef. Cause then people were writing us being like, well, well then what did she eat? I'm like either goat or beef, but probably beef because like from a truck, they were saying yeah, the Mexican traditional is goat, but from a truck, it was probably beef. Anyway, thank you guys for all your concern. And, uh, should we get started? And for being nice to us. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. Oh, well, I also, so then, me, we went out to eat, my family and I, and there it ended up being a karaoke night. No. Yes. And my niece and nephew were a little bit like judging of, you know, was it a sad? Yes, it was a sad karaoke night. It was old people. They weren't sounding good, but they were being so like teens about it and embarrassed for everyone. So I went and I sang karaoke alone um, to teach them. It doesn't matter. You could. What did you matter. sing? I sang a little share. I sang believe. Oh, I'm more in my vocal after range. Love. More in my vocal range. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> shares more in your vocal range. Oh, but I have been practicing for the next goddamn comedy jam if I get to do it, and I think I'm gonna do Avril Lavigne, Skater Boy. Oh, that's a good one. He wasn't good enough for her. Yeah, I think that would be enough rock and pop for my spirit. <laughs> yeah. Can't sing too much. We're going to get sued. Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Let's <laughs> wait. There's nothing else about your house. Seeing the babes again. How was the reunion or uh, no, it's been great. I love my babies. I was happy to see them again. They immediately got sick. So now I have them both home all week. It's a nightmare. You know, like life is fine. But I will say Lisa got me the be- most beautiful. I'm going to post this on our Instagram. Lisa bought me the most beautiful present for my birthday. She got me this very delicate little necklace uh, bracelet from the jewelry store in Brooklyn, where I got my wedding rings and my engagement necklace from, from my husband. And it says Rosie and Oscar on it with a little heart in between. And it's just the sweetest little gift. And I just want to publicly thank you again. It's awesome. I'm glad you liked it because you don't always wear jewelry really. And you, you know, you're, you don't like stuff. <laughs> so I thought it was dainty enough. I'm a little bare bones with jewelry and this is perfect for me, but 
We should get started. Hannah's yes. probably like, okay, Virgo you're season's 20. done. I know, but what are the cha- we've lived through this pandemic? We've had to be recording in wild places, and then to be able to go to a comedy festival together, sold out podcast show, and then to party um, and see all these people. I was telling Kara, I hugged this one comedian uh, in a way where I was like, I didn't even know I missed you like i was hugging <laughs> soder so long that i was like oh my god we really yeah no <laughs> we, we love cool each to other. see people from new york too and for me like just to have a few days away from like the responsibility of my kids just felt really really like spiritually renewing <laughs> uh, yes you need a break you need a break yeah. um sometimes oh and then we facetimed and rosie went can i come to texas with you <laughs> It was really fucking cute. Oh, yeah. but um, there is a comedian and she did something so bold and it really inspired me. Um, but she had a crush on a guy. So she posted a photo of herself on Instagram with her legs spread and tagged him on her pussy. What? And he was still like, wait, what does this mean? And it's like, can I make it any more obvious? <laughs> <laughs> We got to end on that. It's too good. But wait, one quick thing before we go, guys. This week, That's Messed Up is featured in Stitcher's True Crime Week, which is exciting. So if you guys listen to podcasts on Stitcher or go get the Stitcher app and be sure to check out True Crime Week because we are right there, baby. It's funny. There's enough. It's like Shark Week's blood, True Crime Week's blood. We just we need. Yeah, people love blood. Listeners, we are doing Download a Child, season 15, episode 19. And this is an episode, Kara and I, even though we've seen it all, we both didn't really remember. We probably wouldn't have done this for years, but I ran into one of the actresses out and about in my popular cool LA life. And I'm so excited because this is such a good episode. How do you feel about this, Kara? Yeah, same. I was watching and I was like, okay, I remember this part. But I don't it just wasn't as like ingrained in my mind as many other episodes are. And so I was I was happy to do a rewatch. Yeah. And now I've watched it three times this week. Yeah. So it's now it's forever, <laughs> sadly, in my brain because it is an intense one. But it is. It opens pretty chill. You know, Brian Cassidy making some scrambled eggs Um, in guess what? Layers, lots of layers. He's wearing a hoodie and a flannel in the house. What the fuck? I think Marishka can afford some heat. I just like to be naked in my home. I would never be wearing multiple long sleeve things inside of my house. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Like even in the dead of winter in New York, I was like, I want to be in a tank top. Yeah. Yeah. We're Virgos. Yeah. I don't know if that has anything to do with that. Virgos run hot. Virgos run hot. Everyone knows it. (laughs) So Mariska says like, ooh, something smells good. And she enters in a silk blouse for police work. Okay, sure. Um, I guess we're wearing (laughs) silk to the precinct. Um, And she has short hair with some curls, tousled, and she's running late. And he's like, you can't be late. You're the boss. And it's like, that's why you're a failure, Brian, because of that attitude. Okay. You know, she's going to be fucking on time. Um, But she reminds him it's custody hearing for baby boy Doe, who, as we all know, will become Noah or or the freaks that don't watch the show. This is Noah. Uh, we, <laughs> this is Noah and his journey. So she has to go to this uh, trial. Do you can see the resentment building in Brian? He's being a little bitch boy. And but he's like, OK, we'll make plans for dinner. Let's go to dinner. And she goes, oh, let's try the new little bistro. And he takes this as a fully personal attack. And after she leaves to go to work, he goes, yeah, what's wrong with the old place? And it's like, what? I, what? It's such a weird. Yeah, it's a very strange reaction to like, hey, why don't we try a new restaurant? Like, 
No, I want to go get chicken tenders at my same place, mommy. Like he's just being a child. Yeah, not loving it. Um, but Mariska is in family court and she's looking so longingly onto this photo of future baby Noah um, as the attorney like swings it around. And she's talking about how the baby has a viral infection and needs to be moved yet to another home. And uh, the judge during this is Judge Ruth Linden. And she is the family court judge. She's been in 10 episodes. And OK, so I went into her IMDb just to exper- experiment. She's in one of the worst movies ever, ever made. Have you ever watched Downsizing with Matt Damon? Yes. You didn't think it was one of the worst movies you've ever seen? Wait, yeah, I thought it was terrible, but I don't remember her in it. Who cares? We're just talking shit about this movie at this point. I don't know what she was. She could have had two lines. Wait, 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 wait. I want to make sure I know who this is. Hold on. Okay. Okay. This woman was in the play... The humans. And I saw it when it came to L.A. And she's a very good actress. And it was a Tony Award winning play. No, I'm not shitting on Jane. How do I'm, I'm just telling you where I seen Jane Houdeshell live before. Downsizing was shit, shit, shit. I remember exactly where I watched it yeah. in Jared's parents basement. I was like, what is this movie? What the fuck is going on? It made no fucking sense to me. It was wild that it was even made. Well, I heard people say how bad it was, but I don't usually care. Like, I'll watch stuff. So I was like, how bad can this be? I'd probably like it. And it was one of the worst movies I'd ever seen. So if you guys are in the mood to watch a horrific movie, I would suggest downsizing. And you know what? If you're one of these downsizing apologists, just miss us. There with is the not DMs. one. There We're is not, not one. We don't want to hear from you. I actually like downsizing. We don't want to hear it. <laughs> I just remember once my friend was like art school confidential is the worst movie I've ever seen. And it's one of my favorites. I have the graphic novel and I've watched. So like you just never know. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, so Benton, after this trial, talks, tries to talk to the counselor and she's a defensive, ill-prepared freak who does not care about anything. And it's confusing why this is her job. Like, you're pretty. Go be a catalog model. There's so much (laughs) you can do. Why are you like ugh, annoyed helping like babies? With viral infections. I think she's there. She's trying to or the show is trying to convey the way the system works. Like the reason why baby Doe is not being adopted is because he's being bounced around. His lawyer barely knows what the fuck is up. Like this is true. Like this is kind of how it is, you know? Yeah, but maybe they should have disheveled her hair a little bit, put a pencil in a bun. It's like, what are you doing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. You're right. You're right. She looks very beautiful and put together for someone who's like, doesn't know where half her cases are at the moment. You're right. Yeah. Like unorganize her folders. Like give us a (laughs) clue. This is, it's not realistic. A messy bun, something. Yeah. So, but of course, Benson gets a call. She's doing something that's not the job. So that can never last for too long. And Finn is on the other end telling her to go somewhere. So she arrives at a busy scene with lots of ambulances, commotion, and Finn um, is there. And they look up and there's a young girl stuck on the balcony outside area of a house, right? And she's wearing pastels, fairy wings, and there's a table beneath her, but she's not supported. So she's like shaking about on this table. We don't know where the parents are. It's such an insane scene not only that but there's like pebbles all over the little tables so it's like she's it looks like almost like a benny hill like a like a (laughs) like a crazy physical comedy bit but it's really scary because she could fall off the table at any moment and like plunge to her death like yeah and for those so they pan up and basically like her fairy wing is stuck on a hanging plant 
I didn't realize that at first. And I was like, why is this girl just on a table, no. on a balcony? <laughs> on a messy table. That's what you yes. noticed. You didn't even notice this bitch was like atta- attached, not to call a child. Not the, the bitch, first time. But- no, the first time I did not notice that this little baby bitch was attached to a, <laughs> to a planter. <laughs> you, yeah, but you did notice that the table was messy. I did. I was like, this table has so many rocks on it. You got to wipe it down. So then at the other side, we have Danny Pino and Rollins, and they're trying to get in with other cops into the apartment through the front door. And Amanda says it's a force, a fortress. Um, So there's so many locks they're trying to drill in. So that's like a little foreshadow. Maybe why are there so many locks? Um, Amanda's like, honey, we're trying to help you. And the girl's like, get away from us. (laughs) Like, she's like, leave, leave. Like the girl doesn't want it. And the girl's also wearing moccasin clogs, which is such a choice for a child. Uh, But you know, I trust the department, of course. And so the spy guys fly in through the balcony. They're like mountain climbing, propelling in. The detectives enter through the door. Everyone's trying to save this girl while she's like, get away from me. You can't be in here. But there's lots of food on the counter and juices. So it shows that someone's caring for her. There's a lot of snacks. So even though someone's not home, you know, Someone cared about her. Um, And I was home alone from a very, very early age. So this is never weird to me. Like when kids are alone and they're like, what's going on? I was alone all the time. But but overnight and for multiple days? No. Yeah. But I agree with you. I was home alone. Well, and I think also now everyone thinks a little bit more crazy. Like I I was home alone watching other children at a very young age. Yeah, but you had for the, I would, yeah, I would just be like getting bloody noses alone watching Jason. Like I, when my parents were at a Russian concert that was in a high school, like the biggest (laughs) performers of all of Russia would come perform at a high school and we would buy tickets and like see the, like the biggest stars. But you were too young to bring. I mean, they were bringing you to R-rated movies. Why would they just bring you to the concert? You didn't want to go. Uh, the, the tickets are maybe because I would go to a lot. I would go a lot, but I loved being home alone. You know me well yes. as a friend. You know, I like to be yes. alone and on a bed. <laughs> yes. With run of the house. I know yeah. that that is a passion of yours for sure. <laughs> so I would be like, get out of here. Like, we'll go, go, go. You guys go have fun. I'm fine. <laughs> yeah. Um, but Rollins grabs her from the cop mountain climbers and she's trying to chill the crying girl out and she has beaded necklaces on that are very of the trend, very of the moment people use. Have you noticed people are wearing like immature looking beaded necklaces? Yes. A lot of like summer camp arts and crafts is like in right now. Yeah. And I love it in my heart, but it's just too trendy and I refuse, but like I do, I'm, I'm on board. Um, Maddie is the girl's name and she says that, uh, she shouldn't like, she's not allowed to tell where my mommy and daddy are. Like, I'm, I can't tell you. And then it's the credits. So we're left with a nice little cliffhanger. Where are the parents? <laughs> We're back with the detectives and they're filling each other in, figuring out like uh, the fit, what's going on. And so we know that the mom's name is Jenny and we have to find Jenny. And Maddie is scared, but she's not hurt. She just wanted to feed the birds and then got into some trouble. But the stove is unplugged. The hot water is turned off. Someone clearly loves her. This is not a neglect situation. So what's up? So, um, Rollins, Ice, Pino, I decided I'm going to call Amaro Pino for a little bit. That's going to be my vibe. That's what my heart is saying since I've have like a new attraction for him. And it's all, I, I just think Pino is better. And then when he's being bad, I'll call him Amaro, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> just to fill everyone in. Okay. So it's Rollins, Ice and Pino. It's, um, it's a full house and she was only left home alone for two sleeps. She says, and it's a nice view in a very nice apartment. It's very spacious for New York. Did you, right? Yeah. And a nice view. 
I was, I didn't really think it tracked with who we find out owns it, but yeah. So that's what I was saying. Is it near the airport? Yeah. Like, or is it, <laughs> no, it has to be in Manhattan. It's Manhattan SVU. Maybe what? Maybe uh, closer to the Bronx, maybe? I know people can get bigger spaces. Yeah, yeah. It could be up in like Spanish Harlem or something like that. It's possible. But I mean, it very, it very much looks Midtown to me. Yeah. Because a lot of the super, super tall buildings are really on the, in the center of the city or downtown, you know? Yeah. Which did get very affordable after 9-11. Who knows? You're acting like a real Trump right now. <laughs> <laughs> So they find out info, but they won't share it with us yet. You know what I mean? Um, but the typeface shows we're in a woman's jail and the mother is there. So that's, you know, a couple sleep. She's in jail. So Pino and Benson meet up with this woman in an orange jumpsuit. And we can assume that's the mother. And she's played by Megan Fahey, the star of the episode. And she's very concerned about Maddie. And but Pino's like, oh, you're so concerned, but you fucking left her alone. And, you, you know, you were on probation. You're shoplifting. What the fuck are you doing? And she goes, listen, it was her birthday. I needed to get her an American Girl doll, which is two hundred dollars. Who has that kind of money? Uh, so I had to. But I had to try to get her and they inform her like, OK, well, because of that, your kids in child protective services. But then Pino's pissed and starts going at her. And Benson, like, sees what's up because she's magic. <laughs> And she's like, OK, chill out, bro. And Jenny goes, wait, don't talk to him that way. You're going to make him angry. So that's an issue. Right. So uh, Benson just telling Pino, don't yell at her. Suddenly she's like, hey, bitch, w- watch out. He's he might hit us. And Pino's like, no, 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 I'm not even mad at you. I mean, he's like so hot in this episode. OK. But he's like, I'm not even mad at you, you know, but you just left your kid alone. It's serious. Um, and Benson is like, you told the courts your husband was going to look after her. And she goes, no, I would never leave my husband alone with her. He has needs and he should not be trusted with this child. And it is too dangerous. So the story in this web just keeps getting bigger and bigger. Gary is the stepdad, not the dad. And that's who she, the character is married to, Jenny. And then the real dad is an Attica. And he He's in prison and um, they ask, like, has he touched her? And she goes, I would never even give him the moment to do it. So anyways, they're back in the next location. And that's the apartment of Gary, the stepfather, the current husband. It's March 18th and it's the day after St. Patrick's Day. My twin brother's birthday. But not my twin brother's birthdays. Okay, I was like, (laughs) that makes no fucking sense. (laughs) But, Sorry. you know, are people hung over? What's going on? They're not even going to acknowledge. <laughs> There's not even a loose shamrock. You always know the date. Like, I would say I gloss over those title cards. I barely even pay attention where they are. You always know the date and you always know what the date is in proximity to a holiday. Well, sometimes they're not You're like, this is the day after Halloween. We don't have a cobweb anywhere. <laughs> like <laughs> Some dates don't matter, but that's an important date. You know, for, as a Chicago gal, like that was that was a big party day for me. So, right. Like, yes. I just oh, kind that's of, true. I forgot. Chicago is really, really. We like, have two parades. The river is green. green and, uh, yeah. It's something I notice. I learned that from the fugitive. Yes. About the Green River. But I, the, but it's because we watch so much, I noticed crazy things too. Like the apartment was 2G. Is that important or not? I don't know. But guess what? I, I can't. I notice <laughs> everything now. It's, um, it's hard not to. Um, so this man, Gary, opens the door. He has a beard, curls. He looks dirty, dirty shirt. But like, I, know, I don't think we're supposed to like him, but he's like a fine looking man. Like if he had a good personality, we'd be like, oh, look at that cute guy. But here you're like, who's this schlub piece of shit? Right. A woman in a bra and panties is behind him and she's looking for cigarettes. 
he yells at her so we can confirm, you know, this guy is sucks. He sucks. He's yelling at a woman in panties. He, why do these guys always get the hottest women? Whatever. <laughs> he, uh, he comes to chat in the hallway and he's like, what happened? And, uh, they, you know, they, <laughs> and this guy then, uh, reveals he has barbed wire tattoos coming down his arm. And that is beautiful. <laughs> and he's like, did she say I hurt the girl? And Pino's like, well, why would you say that? Uh, like, you're so dumb. Why are you giving info to the police? But he says, no, no, no. She's just paranoid. She's fucking crazy. He's never, I, she's never left me alone with Maddie. And uh, Jenny doesn't even go to the fucking bathroom when I'm there. She is nuts. So Jenny is one of the most beautiful people on the planet, I would say. Like, um, yeah. And he's not and this good. Guy and cup. Yeah. Wait, but I'm sorry. Have they explained at this point yet that they are married, but they don't, that, but they're like separated? Like they don't live together? I think just by the context clues. But okay. It's like, okay. They don't really know. like talk about it, but they're, they're currently married, but they live separately and are, okay. Yeah. Obviously some sh- weird things are happening. You know, yeah, I, I was I just, think, I was, I'm asking for me. Like I was I think the detectives like, are confused. We're confused as the viewer. We're like, what yeah. is this web? So he's not a pedophile, but she's scared. Obvi- he's calling her crazy. So clearly she has trauma mm-hmm. and he doesn't know what to do. You know, there's so much. But he uh, so, yeah, so he's with the most beautiful woman in the world, but he left her because she's nuts, but admits to still fucking Jenny because crazy girls fuck really good. And that's what his brother told him when they gave her to him. And they're like, pardon. Uh, What was that? And he's like, once my brother knocked her up, he gave her to me. Wow. So that answers your questions a little bit, Kara. Yeah. The convo does not end well. And on his way back to the apartment, uh, he says, like, whatever. I don't do anything to her that she doesn't like. So another clue. I don't know. Whatever. Back at the precinct, we have Pino skinny tie king <laughs> Exp- <laughs> sorry that i like it i like when i start talking as a gen z or talked three years ago like i'm <laughs> like the by the time their lingo comes to me it's so over but i love it skinny tie king okay i don't even know if it was that skinny of a tie uh whatever so he's explaining what's what and he has a silver can in his hand but it's not a diet coke it's like too thin and tall but i don't know if by season 15 they had as many iced coffee beverages in the silver can there wasn't blue it wasn't red bull what is that can so if anyone knows what that can is i'm sure you do please let us know i'm very curious (laughs) what he is drinking it's not like a coors light at the at the precinct (laughs) but it's not diet coke okay so the baby daddy, Bobby, who's in Attica, um, has a long ass record. And right now he's in prison for cooking meth. He pimped her out when she was 16. And when she got knocked up, he turned her over to his brother. Yikes. Rollins says she has been through the ringer. Good detective work. I says that she has been in and out of jail and drug arrests, um, but all of that stopped about two years ago. So hopefully that's a clue that she's sober and like living the right life. And Benson adds she's a domestic violence victim. So like, I don't think we should put her in jail. Like that's not the best thing for Maddie. And they all agree. And they're like, okay, so the best plan of action for right now is let's confirm that she's a domestic violence victim and convince family court that they need help. And family court should not be punitive, but helpful in this situation. We cut to a room with a lot of wood. Okay. There's dressers, desks, shelves, ta- like so much wood. I, I, <laughs> yeah, that's expensive. You would think the precinct would have, you know, some metal in there, but just a lot of wood. 
<laughs> and they're talking to Jenny and Jenny says that he has never touched Maddie because she's never given him the chance. I think I've said that eight times already. Do we get this? Okay. She says he has needs like any man and Amaro goes in on her hard and she's like, stop yelling at me. I'll be good. I'll promise. I'll do whatever you want. And she like gets really sexy. And then Benson just knocks on the glass um, to get him out of there. And he's like, I didn't even go at her that hard. And I would disagree. I think for knowing what we know about her, he, he was a real Amaro. But Benson is like, this isn't about you. Like, she clearly has some issues. Uh, but Rollins and her are bonding and she's trying to get info out of her. So that's that's good. And she says that Gary hits her sometimes before sex. And then there's like no hitting during sex. And Rollins is like, but do you want to have sex? And then this is sad. And she answers, I don't care. Oh, and that's a bad place. Yeah, it should. Yeah, it should usually be a hard yes or no. But it stops. So basically, like fucking him stops him from being angry. And so she like doesn't care. And so to not get hit and yelled at, she'll like give her body up. And Amanda says, that's rape. And Jenny answers, no, we're married. So it's not. He can do whatever he wants to me. Sad. And then Pino's the hottest he's ever been. And he says, either I beat the crap out of him or we go get Barba. <laughs> And Benson breathes like really deep. I can't pinpoint what the breath meant, but she did it. We come back from the commercial and it's Cassidy drinking a beer, watching baseball. And um, Olivia runs in, apologizes for being late. But it's like, and Brian's like, whatever, I push back the reservation. But he sounds annoyed. But to me, it's like, Brian, you were an officer. You know SVU. Like, you worked at SVU. You know these cases are yeah, hard. Yeah, you've known Olivia for over a decade. You know what this is, What you know what you signed up for. Yeah, so I just don't know why he's acting annoyed. But she's like running down the details of the case. He doesn't really care. So she says, sorry. He says, stop saying sorry. The only answer that you can say when someone says that is say sorry again. It's like a fucking loop. Okay. <laughs> but they kiss and she's like, what do you want to chat about? And he says he thinks that like they're out of sync. And she's like, what? And he's like, yeah, living together sucks. We had more fun just like fucking casually. <laughs> she's like, yeah, I guess I hear you. <laughs> but he's mostly mad that she won't tell him what Lewis did to her. And like, he's just like, tell me your trauma. It's fucked up that you won't talk to me about it, which I think is rude. Yeah. Like she'll tell you when she tells you, you know? <sighs> yeah. And she says like, I don't want these images stuck in his head. Well, she just doesn't want the images of her being violently attacked in his head. And he gets mad and goes, are you trying to protect me or you? And it's like, why are you? What if she is trying to protect herself? Like, why are you mad, bro? Like, it's just I mean, obviously, he has feelings about other things, but whatever. He doesn't want to fight. Let's just do dinner. And she's like, OK, well, I want to stay in. I'm obviously tired now. And he's mad and sits down. And that's that. I didn't care about any of that, but I know that yeah. they're trying to set up a thing. But you could probably tell in my voice that. <laughs> I'd like to hear more about Jenny. Okay, so Benson and Rollins are getting the lowdown from Daddy Barba. And he's like, no, 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 no. They're like, yes, yes, yes. He's like, no. And he's like, okay, but you have to do this one thing. So that's what happened there. And Benson is fighting for her and he gives in. You know, he's like, since Jenny doesn't think anything is wrong because they're married, we need him to confess to something. Is he dumb enough to confess to something that he doesn't know that he's confessing to? And they're like, Oh, yeah, <laughs> we got this. We got you a guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you want confessions? We've got dumb asses. <laughs> so Amaro and I, or Pino, he's been good. But um, 
So basically, Amaro and Ice and Gary are having a chat at the precinct. I don't even know how they got him down to the precinct, honestly, but they're tricking him with overfamiliarity and hatred towards women. They're going to bond over that. And there's donuts. Yes, baby. The official food of hating women. Donuts. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but you know me and Rosie love donuts. Oh, I fucking donuts. love donuts. <laughs> I I really I maybe LA has brought the love of donuts out of me even more, but I've always loved This donuts. is a donut ass town for sure. Um, but yeah, so there's donuts. Oh, so they got him there by uh they're basically trying to figure out a place for Maddie to go. That's how they like tricked him to come down to the precinct. And he goes, Listen, I do my share. I'm not a deadbeat, I pay her rent. And the guys are like, oh, my God. And she's not even grateful. And he goes, no, no, she gives me sex and very quickly dives into very incriminating banter and says, oh, she says, no, 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 please. No. But she changes her tune very fast. And he compares her to a car engine and says she wants to be hurt. And it's just foreplay. And they're like, well, the jury won't see it that way. And he's like, huh? And Pino goes, well, if you weren't married, what you did would be considered rape. And Gary laughs and says, yeah, I guess. But that's the point, isn't it? We're married. I could do whatever I want to her. So there's no such thing as raping your wife. And he's chewing with his mouth open. And Amaro's like, yep. And he's signing papers and confessing to all of this. And Benson's like, good work, motherfucker. And it's pretty hot. And this was like the whole crux of the Lorena Bobbitt case was like, is marital rape a thing? You know? Yeah, but it became marital rape became a thing in what, early 90s or late 80s? I don't remember when it actually became law and it's probably state to state. But but yeah, yeah. Yeah, it is um, fucked up. It's very fucked up. And I mean, Melissa Gorga from Real Housewives of New Jersey was basically advocating for marital rape in her <laughs> book. Do you remember that? Yes. Like, just give it to your husband when he wants it. Yeah. Yeah. So, but Amaro and Benson, like... That should be a fan fiction. If anyone writes fan fiction, erotic fan fiction, this is what we need. We need this scene, I think, for myself of <laughs> of Danny and Benson. Is that even why did I say Danny? Because oh, his name is Danny Pino. <laughs> I was like, it's Nick. What's happening? OK, I'm losing my mind. Okay. Um, and Benson <laughs> is like, there's no way this is the first like guy to abuse her. And Rollins and Benson get a little tip for tap because she needs to get a psych evaluation, but they can't put her into Bellevue because that'll like diminish her chances of getting her daughter back. And uh, Rollins is like, yeah, but we need this, my opinion. And Benson has a sexy ass moment and goes, I'll do my job and you do yours. And she said, yep, Captain, you know, so basically Benson really cares about her. What is Benson cooking up? So what she's cooking up is she's going to her therapist, Peter Lindstrom. And he's like, why are you? You can't you know, he's a little mad because of the ethics or morals of whatever therapist rules yeah. there are. He goes, I can't treat her. But she goes, but you can evaluate her. You don't have to treat her. I just need an evaluation. And he says, sure, but you need to sit in with me. So it's not like a treatment session. And she's like, yeah, obviously, I, I would love to do that. So we find out uh, that Bobby, the Attica guy, her first quote unquote husband, uh, they met when she was 14 and they had a physical relationship. And then he invited a bunch of friends over and they'd get high and go into the bedroom and play games, she said, and do stuff. And he would hit her if she said no. So we can assume he's pimping her out when she was a young teenager. Um, she never told anybody because if she told her mother that her mother would kill her, her mom always called her a dirty whore because she flirted with all her mom's boyfriends. And then she's just kind of pushed too far and she shuts down and starts crying and saying sorry and 
<sighs> she just really wants her daughter back and it's really sad. And the therapist, he can see the pain and he knows how much she wants her daughter and she cries and it's commercial. Okay. So um, now it's, they're in the office and Benson fills in the squad about like the therapist's opinions and what he thinks about the abuse and that this is just the tip of the iceberg and that this woman has a lot of problems and something happened to her and we need to find out. So they start having debates about trauma and like, you know, proof of abuse. Can we get it? What's going on? And they're like, well, let's just talk to the mom. The mom must have some information. And the, and the mom we know sucks because she kicked out her 14 year old daughter because she was a whore. So, um, but they have to visit the mom and try to get some evidence of whatever abuse happened to her as a child to like cause this like fucked up life for herself. And the mom's place is a mess, which makes me want to clean my house because I don't want to seem like this abusive mother. So SVU affecting us in many ways. And she's happy to have the company. She's like, oh, my God, I love that you're here. Um, and then she says, Finn, I would offer you a cigarette, but I don't have any menthols. And I can assume that's like racist, right? So racist. Yeah. I didn't even like, catch that. Oh, yeah. She goes, sorry, I don't have any cools. Yeah, I wrote, is that a microaggression? Like, um, I don't know. I'd say that's a macroaggression. That's like very openly racist. I caught that. I caught it. I thought it was a, because I did smoke Newports in high school, but I understand. But that's like a typical, oh, black people up. like menthols, like stereotype. Yeah. Oh, 100%. Yeah. You didn't even catch it. Don't try to tell me. <laughs> oh, no, I'm not telling you, but I'm surprised I didn't catch it because that's fucking slap you in the face racism. <laughs> also, your messy bun looks really good. Oh, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> I'm also watching these shows sometimes while I'm like feeding a child. And so sometimes I miss a racist moment and I apologize. everybody. You're bad at your job. <laughs> Okay, so the mom says, what are you here about Jenny? Is she dead? And like could barely care. And Amaro takes a plate of food off of a chair to sit down. So that's like a really <laughs> funny moment. Like, <laughs> And the mom says she was always trouble lying and coming on to her boyfriends at age 10. And I had to I had to pull her off Santa at age seven. And it's like. Because she said she was unzipping Santa's pants at age yeah. seven. Yeah. But it's like, what a bad mother. Like, that's the thing. It's like, fuck this kid. This seven-year-old's a whore versus why does my seven-year-old know to unzip Santa's pants? Yeah. Right. Bad parenting. Bad yeah. parenting. Ah, but Amaro's good. <laughs> Amaro's good at his job. Can I just say that um, speaking of parenting, yesterday Rosie said to my husband, I love you so much. You have a penis. So kids are learning crazy things around here. Where are they learning that? From the home, from the parents. I'm teaching her all the anatomical parts. We're not doing name, nicknames. No. Yeah. Sorry, go on. So it just reminded me of that in a sad way that reminded me of that. Uh, yeah, no, it is funny. But um, so then the mom is just like, what? You don't believe me? Um, and Amaro is so good. And he's like, you know, that must have been really hard for you. And she goes, yes. Thank you. Everyone always blames me. Thank you for realizing how hard it was me. Everyone always blames the mother. And this seems like a play. Like, I would love to act this out in a play on a stage for sure. Just like it it, it was very theatery and I yeah. loved it. Just like, you know, they always blame the mother. Amaro and Rollins have a similar vibe with their little act outs, I think, sometimes. Like, um, like you know how Rollins will get really sexy with people? Amaro will do the like. Oh, I'll be your shoulder to cry on. Just tell me everything, you know? 
Yeah, no, I'm really not liking how horny I'm becoming for him. But over the past <laughs> few months, it's just grown and grown. And now I'm gripping onto my couch. Okay. Um, so he goes, you know, do you have any photos? Like maybe we can show her these photos and it'll give her a little dose of reality. And she hands over the evidence because she's a dumb bitch. So Amaro with his badge on his hip looking sexy as fuck says that the mom's second husband was a photographer and he had all these photos and the pics are like, you know, what SVU shows us usually when there's child sexual abuse images. And Benson goes, I mean, if these are the photos that he gave to the mother, what did he keep for himself? So this is sad. But so they take the photos to the FBI and the FBI has like, it says we've been searching for her for over a decade. So they have been searching for um, Jenny forever. And this is like, these images that means have been across the internet, which means this case is getting even bigger and bigger outside of Jenny. It means it's not the just that abuse, more abuse. Oh my God. Um, and the FBI agent here is in manifest. <laughs> so he's the pilot in manifest. Uh, Frank Deal is his name. He's in six episodes of SVU and he's been in the Americans. So that's um, exciting for all of us. Mm -hmm. uh, but he has nothing but bad news. Basically, they call this girl Lacey unknown because that was the stepdad's last name, Lacey. And the stuff's bad. So tied up, raped, sodomized, customized photos like cameos. And there are hundreds of videos and chat rooms devoted to her. And they stop looking for her because they assumed she was dead. And they are shocked she is still alive with the abuse that she had to endure. But hundreds of men are in jail for downloading this stuff. But um, this shit is still up. And every day, every country, pedophiles are collectors. And every time they put a, you know, a site down, a new one pops up. So Barbara um, is like, if you find a new person in possession, please let me know. I got a plan. He's brainstorming. He knows what to do. So the stepdad is dead. He died two years ago. So we can't go after him for the abuse. So what are we going to do? So Barbara's like, hey, why don't you show her these images, jog her memory and get scoop? Because um, when the woman comes forward, maybe we, you know, we can make some stuff happen. And they're like, she's so traumatized. He's like, but it has to happen for her to get justice. So Rollins and Benson go visit her and tell her what happened and try to leave. Like, so they explain to her, they want to legally try to get restitution for her, but she has to identify herself as Lacey unknown to be able to get the money. So they're showing her photos from the childhood. She remembers those, but then they show the perverted ones. And she's like, that's not me. I've never been molested and you're off base. And she's looking at a photo of her and it's like, that's not me. That's not me. Very powerful performance. Give her an Emmy. Um, she's like, it's Lacey. So that's progress. And they're like, well, tell us about Lacey. And it cuts to the like lady detectives filling in Barbara. And Barbara says that a section of the Violence Against Women's Act, which if I'm not, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, is expired in real life and Congress refuses to reenact it. I feel like it expired a couple of years ago. And then with Trump and everything, no one will sign it and no one will sign it still, even when Biden came to office. 
And basically he says that there's a section of the act that could help us out. And it says that sex abusers have to pay restitution to their victims and it's best to file before people sentencing. And with news downloads all the time, we can get her some cash, you know, for medical bills, lost wages, therapy. And he knows a firm that would do this pro bono. Um, But now not only have they had to remind her what happened to her? This is a memory she's truly put away. But now they have to break the news to her that men are watching her right now and watching her be raped as a child. So this fucking It's like sucks. really. Uh, so the ladies are back at the giant apartment and Jenny has a great shirt. This is my favorite outfit of the episode. It's black see-through sleeves with like a red in the middle. It's like such an amazing shirt. I would wear it today. Get it to me. Crop top it. (laughs) Um, She says a lot of things make sense now. She's going to therapy. She's folding shit. Um, And they go, well, I know you're on the mend, but guess what? We've got more terrible news for you. So they explain to her that all of this is actually not in the past. And that they're online and people watch them. And she's very affected by this. When they mention the FBI, she's like, the FBI? I mean, what? And then she's like, people are watching those terrible things happening to me for fun? She is such a good actress. What the fuck? I feel like we're going to see her win an Oscar in our lifetime. She does not take the news well and is like, why would you why would you tell me? Like, And they're like, well, we can get money for you. And she's like, I don't want to get fucking paid for this. She's like, so people all over the world, what the fuck? Why are they looking at this? And she runs off. She can't even handle like being looked at in the moment. Um, so Benson is at therapy. And she's talking about what happened, you know, to Jenny and the case. And the therapist is like, stop it. This is your time, not her time. Let's talk about Brian. Let's talk about you. And then there's a buzzer at the door. And it's Jenny. She's banging on the door. She has a beautiful half up, half down hairdo with a little baby clip. And I like that. Um, She says to him, you don't need her. You need me. I can make you happy. And gets in her bra and underwear. And we always talk about how this sucks because it's like, you know, it's this sad, sad moment. But like these women's bodies are just just like fucking killer. So it's like, (laughs) so sorry for your life, but damn girl, that's a regime, you know? Um, and then, but she has a chest tattoo and what does it say? I'm, I'm a wild ride. It says one wild ride. She has a fucking chest tattoo. It's huge. Like it spans her chest. (laughs) Yeah. Cause now I want to know like what fucking dude made her get it. Did she get it? Was she on drugs? Like I, it's very yeah, curious. That feels to me. like a drug induced tattoo to me, but I don't know her life. Yeah. So she cries and she falls into detective Benson and you know, Mariska cups her head and there are tears and it's like, can this episode get any more dramatic? But also as an actor, I mean, you get hugged by Benson. You're naked in, the, in front or like you're stripping down with the therapist. You're one on one with Amaro. It's like a really it's a full experience of a guest star. Yeah. Um, but she's now in uh, like sunshine. So we cut to a sunshine. It looks like she's in a group home psych place and she's doing good. Her meds have been figured out. And Rollins and Benson, the power duo are like, you'll get better. You'll get your kid back and we're going to help you. And she goes, I don't know. My Medicare is going to run out and Gary stopped paying my rent. So and they explain to her about getting the restitution money and it can help. And she can write a letter for this EMT who's just been caught downloading her stuff. And she goes, I don't want to write a letter. And it's like full disappointment and everyone gets upset. And she goes, no. 
I want to go in person. He better look me in the eyes. And you're like, yes, yes, SVU, the drama, the drama. So we're in the court. And this daughter speaks in favor of her dad. And she's like, he's not a criminal and hasn't hurt anyone. And he's a great dad. Please be lenient. And it's she like, is like very robotic. <laughs> yeah. But what did the audition say? Like, uh, we would need a not likable monotone woman. Like, that's basically it, it. It honestly feels like it was given to a non-actor. It was like someone's kid wants to be a part. It's like, oh, we'll give her this part where she just gets to read three lines off a piece of paper. No, because I've gotten these auditions sent to me. And it's like <laughs> the most the, everyone hates her. She is the worst person on the planet. And we thought of you. Like that's <laughs> those are all of my sides. They're like, she annoys everybody, but they can't get rid of her. We will you audition every every fucking time? <laughs> Disheveled, bad at her job. It's like so annoying. I mean, I'm audition. I'm trying. Okay. You've got a type. I mean, that's good. People think of you. That's true. That's true. <laughs> Um, so now it's Jenny's time to talk and she goes, you better look at me in the eyes. You motherfucker. You think you just made a mistake. You made a mistake. What you enjoyed watching has ruined my life. I was 13 when I started doing drugs and crack and dropped out of school and moved in with a man who forced me to have sex with other men for money. And then I got pregnant and he kicked me out and I've had a rough life because of what happened to me. So you said you didn't hurt anyone, but you did. And this man is affected. The judge says, say, thank you. And then the man breaks down and says, I'm so sorry. God, I am so sorry. And she uh, sits down and, you know, Pino's behind her. And I noticed. So that was a moving speech, obviously. So we're cutting to Rollins, giving her an envelope and he, and it's $20,000. So the EMT gave $20,000 to her. Which is it usually like when you get a judgment in court, do you usually get like an envelope in cash handed to you by a detective? I don't think so, but Wait, okay. it was cash. I mean, wasn't it a fat envelope? I don't remember. No, it was not $20,000 cash. I, th I think it was a check maybe wrapped in a letter. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's not cash. Okay. Okay. So she obviously feels weird about it. And I understand why she feels weird about it. But they tell her, like, they owe you this and more. And then Corbin also gave a list of other men he shared it with. And there are over 700 people. I, I'm not a pedophile. I don't have 700 friends. How do they have so many friends to send this horrible stuff to? Because it's like they're all clubs on the Internet. It's like a fandom. But like, it's so hard. Like, so if you're a pedophile, you have to be an amazing tech superstar. How do you find the dark web? Like, I don't get it. Like, I want to buy drugs off the Internet. Why can't yeah. I find it? I would love to buy some drugs from uh, somewhere. I don't even know where. I can't even tell you the country. I'm like, I don't even know the example of the country to get. <laughs> and they're finding pedophile black. It's just disgusting. Okay. So they can get money from all these guys. You know, the FBI notifies of each arrest that they make. And there's a backlog. There's all these boxes of envelopes. And, you know, we'll testify civil suits. Let's do this. And she's like, wait, I have to do this every time for the rest of my life. So for the rest of my life, I have to go do these speeches and try like little by little make money from these people like that fucking sucks. I can't do it. I can't do it. But Barbara has a smirk. He's confident. And, um, you know, Ice Benson, everyone's in, they're chatting. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? Is there? And he goes, she finally caught a fucking break in her life. And there's a CEO on the list and he's worth $20 million. And something wild in the law says that he can go after this rich guy for all of it. 
like every all the money that she deserves, um, which I guess some specialists said is four million dollars. So they're trying to get her four million dollars. Is this real? And then they say, like, he pays four million and then um, like he can go chase down the other pedophiles and get them to pay him back. Did you research this? Yes. In depth. So if you want to keep going, I'll get into it. Oh, you're going to talk about it in real life. Well, I'll get into it for my part. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Got it. Sorry. Um, so we'll get into it. Amazing. Uh, Cause uh, <laughs> this to me seems fantastical. This seems like TV magic. <laughs> so Barbara goes to jail to talk to this white collar criminal looking guy, but obviously not a white collar criminal. He's a fucking pedophile. And then a defense attorney. And this defense attorney is in an episode of sex in the city. He's in a hop skip in a week. If I don't know if you remember that, but it's when Smith Jared becomes the absolute hunk and they go to Brooklyn with the play and whatever burger, but Charlotte, it's on a break with Harry in this moment and he goes on a date with Charlotte. Okay. So, uh, and he's gay, but his mom doesn't know it. So from the show, she's like, go out with my son. And the son's like, I'm a homosexual. So that's it. <laughs> um, but he's like, don't tell my mom. I know I'm 55, but don't tell my mom. <laughs> So the rich guy's like, are you fucking kidding me? I'm not doing this. And Barbara goes, oh, you're fucking doing it. You're either giving me this money or you go to jail for a decade. So he gives the money. So they give her the money. She's over the moon. She's so excited. And Rollins and Pino are doing like a walk and talk outside with her. And she throws the check in the purse, which is a little loose for me for four. It's like, let's go straight to the bank. What? <laughs> I can't imagine having a four million dollar check in my purse. <laughs> like that. That's a little loose for me as well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the detectives say, um, please go talk to like an accountant money guy. Talk to a money guy. Set up a trust and allowance. Make sure the, the money is being spent smart to last you a long time. And she goes, fuck yeah, I'll do everything. I'll do everything right. I'll do the counseling, the probation, this and that. Like she's, she's on the right path and I believe in her and I am in for her life. She's about to have a good fucking life. Uh, Maddie runs out and says, mommy, mommy, they hug, they miss each other. And she just wants to go home and they run off into the distance and life is like very happy and amazing. So I'm so happy and I wish it ended there, but instead we're at a nighttime meetup with uh, Brian Cassidy and Benson and they're about to have a serious discussion. And she explains, you know, we met each other at the worst points of our lives. You, you got shot and demoted and, you know, William Lewis and they helped each other through these terrible times, but maybe that was it. And there's something not like maybe there's something more right for each of them outside of this. And I want to have a family. Do you want to have a family? Are you going to want to grow old with me? Like, what is the vibe? And then he goes, I've been wanting to say this for a really long time. And she's like, I can take it. And he goes, it's not what you think. I love you. And then, you know, and I always will. And she's like, I love you. And they love. And then he, but then he kisses her on the forehead and says, let's go. And they walk off and there's like cabs behind them. I, so what's going on? Did they break up? Are they in yeah. love? Are they getting married? I think it's what's a breakup. I think it's a breakup. The forehead kiss. Yes. But then what's with the, so they've never said, I love you to each other in 20 years of knowing each other. I don't know. Maybe not like they fucked really early seasons, like really early days. And it was mostly a fling. And then, so I think getting back together was like, you know, felt familiar and like good, but like, I ultimately, I don't think they're meant to be together. That's what they're kind of discussing, but it is, I remember I I'd have to look at, watch the episode that immediately follows, but I'm pretty sure this is them breaking up. Yeah, I don't know. A forehead kiss is disgusting to me. Yeah. I don't like a forehead kiss. 
So, yeah, I can't wait. To, I want to learn a lot. So, uh, I, yeah, Kara, let's yeah. go. Sadly, the, uh, this episode is very cool, clearly based on something real. And uh, we're going to get into it as soon as we get back from these delightful advertisements. Listen, we're all SVU fans. We love a family drama. We love a mystery to solve. And you got to get hooked into a story with the details. You need the visuals. You need the storylines with the twists and the turns. And that is what June's Journey has and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young girl on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murderer. Dun, 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 dun. This is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. The game is filled with all these beautiful detailed scenes from the 20s, like lavish estates and gardens. And of course, little hidden clues are everywhere. There's twists, turns, catchy tunes. It all takes you deep deeper into this storyline. And if you play well enough, you can make it into the detective club. And there you can chat with other players and even compete with or against them, which is pretty exciting. And you never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed. And can you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. Okay, love that. And guess what? It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. So this case is based on a case called Amy Unknown, very much like Lacey Unknown in the episode. And um, Amy was eight and nine years old when her uncle, instead of uh, being a step, I think it was a stepfather in the episode here, it's her uncle, raped and sodomized her and forced her to perform sexual acts. Um, and he did so for the express purpose of distributing child pornography on the internet. Like he so fucked up. It's so fucked up to even have these urges and act on them, but then to like turn it into media for other people to consume is just to me like pure malignant narcissism. Like it's just like you have to be, I don't know. You want to be famous for like having the best child. Like it doesn't make any sense to me, like why you would produce these kind of images and distribute them. Well, remember we talked to Dr. Heather Berg, the professor for a previous episode, and she was saying how most of the human trafficking and like those types of crimes are usually people that, you know, pimping out family members for money. And so yeah. unfortunately this seems so like horrific and wild to us, but it is very um, common. Yeah, you're right. I guess I wasn't really considering the money part of it because I didn't really understand how anybody was making money from it. Cause a lot of times it seems like these guys are just swapping images and that there's not necessarily a payment, but there probably is. And that's probably part of it. So the FBI traced this uncle's AOL account to a suburban house in a small town and a team of FBI agents, and showed up with a search warrant and they found like the basement bedroom, like the carpet, the dresser, everything matched the videos that they had seen and they'd been looking for Amy Unknown. And um, they also seized a computer full of illegal images, including pictures that showed the, the same girl being forced to give oral sex, being raped, like it's horrible. And then he wasn't home when the FBI got there and the agents were showing the picture, like a picture of the face of the child to like, the aunt and the adult son. And they were obviously like, this is my niece this is my cousin. And right as they were identifying Amy unknown, 
the FBI agent looked out across the street and saw Amy Unknown playing in her front yard. And he said, it's something I'll never forget, this FBI agent. Just like looking for this poor girl and then like getting there and like seeing her playing in the yard. So the uncle was eventually found guilty of child sexual abuse and sentenced to 12 years in prison. It was also he also faced a charge for the production of child pornography. I'm going to only refer to it as child pornography when that is the charge that is being brought up. I know that we call it child sexual abuse images, but um, when it is child pornography, that is unfortunately what the law calls it. So just to be clear. So he was sentenced to 12 years in prison and ordered to pay $6,000 in restitution, which is wild. So today, a sentence that low would be extremely rare. The punishment is much harsher today for like this was in the 90s. Like today, that would be like now it's one illegal photo carries a mandatory minimum of five years. So I think like when we did the episode with Hank Abraham, they were like, dog. Every image is five years. You're going to you're looking at a lot of fucking time. And so this man for not only producing these images, but also I just can't believe he only got 12 years for what he was doing to that child. I don't think somebody like that is going to be rehabilitated and come out and not hurt other children. But okay, like whatever you do, you justice system. Um, So Amy got counseling. And by 1999, according to a court brief, she was able to, you know, semi resume her life like a quote unquote normal life. She was like a dancer. She went to school. So unlike Jenny in the episode, it happens a little bit later. This happens to Amy when she's in high school. She's discovered that these photos have not gone away, that they've gone viral and that they're being globally trafficked and widely distributed more than almost any other child sex abuse images on the Internet. So her attorney for later trials, Paul G. Cassell, estimates that more than 70,000 people have seen these images of her. So obviously that triggers a lot of emotional distress for her. She can't finish college. She has trouble holding a job. She needs a lot of psychological counseling. She's quoted as saying, every day in my life, I live in constant fear that someone will see my pictures and recognize me and that I will be humiliated all over again. So... A provision of the Violence Against Women Act, which Lisa mentioned before, has expired, but was in action at this time, gave the victims of sex crimes, including child pornography, the right to restitution or compensation for the full amount, quote unquote, of their losses. And that includes psychiatric care, lost income, legal costs, etc. And then the Mandatory Victim Restitution Act of 96 requires that defendants and victims be paid restitution in certain cases. And this does involve um, child pornography crimes. So up until Amy unknown case, the mandatory victim restitution act had never been used in a child pornography case in a case of child pornography possession. It had not been used. So basically the question that was being posed was how can Amy prove that her ongoing trauma was the fault of any one man who looked at her pictures instead of her uncle who abused her and made the pornography. Okay, so that's like what the crux of the argument is. Her attorneys filed at least 1,600 lawsuits against child pornographers found in possession of these images. But then at one point, there were more than 3,200 criminal cases in the U.S. involving Amy's image. The episode borrows from a couple of different um, outcomes that happened in real life. So in 2008, Alan Hesketh, who was a former vice president of Pfizer, was charged with trading around 2,000 child sex abuse images online, including four pictures of Amy. And um, when he was sentenced, Amy decided that she would like to be there. So much like in the episode, she says, I wanted to face my fear. And uh, she also wanted to prove a point because Hesketh was arguing through his lawyer, of course, that it was a victimless crime. I just don't understand. Do they don't actually believe that? 
Or they I do. Mean, and that's the way they can keep watching rape of children. Yeah. That's like the legal argument they were trying to make. It How do you watch a child up? be raped and not think it doesn't hurt anybody? What the fuck? I know. Okay. So Amy said, quote, I thought I want him to look at me and to know that I'm not a picture. I'm a person. End quote. So Amy listened to much like in the episode, Amy listened to Heskis grown children ask for leniency for their father, kept talking about what a great grandfather he is and what a great person he was. And Amy was like, but you know what he did. So you like, this is proven what he did. So he's not great granddaddy anymore. So Amy did take the stand and said, and gave a statement. And then when he, when, when Hesketh took the stand, he said, I'm so sorry. When earlier he'd been saying he hadn't hurt anyone. So she said that totally, like he totally flipped. Like, I feel like I made an impact. Like he knows like what he did now. So Hesketh was sentenced to six and a half years. And a few months later, in apparently what was an unprecedented uh, move, the judge advised him to settle the restitution claim and he agreed to pay $130,000. For a CEO of Pfizer, that doesn't seem like a ton, but okay, he paid her some money. Pretty soon after that, Amy finds out that she's pregnant and she was pretty, she was okay with it because she liked her boyfriend at the time, the father, and like he, she, he knew about her abuse and the photos and he was helping her through it. But he was also a heroin user, a drug dealer, and he did go to jail two months after their son was born. Unlike the episode, she did not get passed to his brother, but she did start seeing another man who she says had a jealous streak, but is just an abuser. And he broke her nose twice. He broke their infant son's leg, which is like making me like too sad to deal with. And then basically she took all the blame when he threatened her. And at one point she had to give custody of her son up to her mother for six months. So they're definitely borrowing a little bit here and there from Amy's story in this episode, but not, not fully. Then, um, six months after his sentencing, Arthur Staples was a 65-year-old sheriff's deputy in Virginia, and I have come across many men in this uh, case in my research who have been cops. There's another Amy Unknown whose name is Nicole. That's an alias. Her father was abusing her in the same way as Amy's uncle did, and he was a cop. So, like, there's multiple cops that have been caught with the images but also committing the abuses. So it's pretty disgusting when you're somebody who's made your life about allegedly protecting people. So, um... This sheriff's deputy, Arthur Staples, he had, um, you know, he got busted online in like an online sting. Uh, and then he he was caught with 600 images on his computer, including Amy's. And he agreed not to appeal any sentence or restitution. And uh, the judge gave him 17 and a half years and made him made the order uh, for him to pay all of Amy's claim. And it turned out the sheriff's deputy had two million dollars in assets. So he paid Amy one point two million dollars, which is great. So. Like she's been turned down for restitution by some courts, but others have agreed to it. So she basically has just been receiving all of these judgments, all of these restitutions um, piecemeal. So she'll get 1.2 million and then she'll get a check for $7.33. Like some amounts are $1,000, some are $100. And then she'll get like tiny checks paying those off like every month. So And is it just this lawyer that's doing this constantly for her? Or does she have to talk every time? Like, how No, does this that is the work? next. So this is like the next part. So the next part is that in 2009, they go after a Texas man named Doyle Randall Paraline, who was found guilty of having two pictures of Amy as part of a larger collection of images that they found on him. And by the way, they found 
300 images of children on his computer, naked children, children engaged in sexual acts with adults and animals. Like it's fucking horrific what these guys have on their computers. So they were seeking $3.4 million in damages from Paraline covering counseling, lost income, attorney's fees, all that stuff. And basically they were going after it with this law that Barbara was going after was, was using. Okay. So I want to try to explain this correctly. I want you all to know that I did get on the phone with one of my friends from college who is a lawyer to have him explain all the legal shit to me because I do not get this, but essentially. And I also want everyone to know that there wasn't even a discussion over who is going to do the crime for this episode. (laughs) Kara said, this is an annoying one. I think I'll take it. Uh, So thank you so much for that. No problem. So. Amy's lawyers argue that it should be Paraline's burden to go after these thousands of other defendants to get their contributions. And this is a theory called joint and several liability. Okay, so this is a theory that allows a plaintiff harmed by a polluted lake in which several companies have dumped waste into a lake to sue one big company for everything and then expect that company to go after the small ones and get the money, you know? And I guess that's happened before. So this case... She was awarded the $3.4 million in damages in the Fifth District Circuit Court. So she she won, and then they took it to the Supreme Court. It went to the Supreme Court because his lawyers were arguing that he should not be liable for, you know, it's unreasonable, it's not, you know, it's too much, it's not commensurate with his actual crime, et cetera, et cetera. In 2014, the U.S. Supreme Court heard this case to decide whether it was legal to uphold this lower court's awarding Amy $3.4 million. So... Amy's lawyers basically wrote in a brief to the Supreme Court that Paraline acknowledges that Amy's profound suffering is due in large part to her knowledge that each day untold numbers of people across the world are viewing and distributing images of her sexual abuse. Of course, the untold numbers he is alluding to include him and the petitioner cannot escape his responsibility to pay restitution by hiding in a crowd. And his attorneys say that he should only pay for his share of a crime committed by thousands and that the punishment should fit the crime. So this has a lot to do with a lot of legal stuff. It's very complicated. So essentially what my friend was explaining to me is like the Supreme Court does not really try the facts of the case. Like it's not they're not about like, oh, when was this found and who had the images and whatever, like that's been decided. They're basically judging how legal is the or was the law interpreted correctly. All the Supreme Court justices, nine of them said Congress needs to make this more clear. Congress needs to pass a law making this more clear, like what it means to give restitution to these victims. But they remand it back down to the circuit court so that they can decide. But what they suggested that they do were a few things. They suggested that they consider several factors, the number of defendants who have paid restitution, the number of future offenders likely to get caught, whether the defendant reproduced or distributed the images of the victim. So like these are the things they basically told the court, like consider all of these things. And essentially, my friend was like trying to explain to me the difference between the kinds of causation that there is like there's causation, like proximate cause is basically like if a bucket falls on your head and the bucket was sitting out on a ledge of a window and the wind comes by and blows it off and it lands on your head. The cause is obviously the bucket being blown by the wind onto your head. But the proximate cause is the person who put it out on the windowsill. So like sharing the likeness caused her harm, but the actual 
cause of her emotional distress. It's unclear whether it's the sharing of the likeness or the abuse itself. So what they were working on in this SVU episode is aggregate causation, which is that you don't have to actually, you don't actually have to pinpoint the proximate causation. You just have to establish that the fact that it happened caused her distress. Okay. And that, that needs to be paid for. So I was like, okay, so in our bucket analogy, what does that mean? And he go, I go, does that mean that every tenant in the building has to pay? And he goes, no, it's more like the building has to pay because we can't establish whose window sill it was on. The building has to pay. I was like, okay, this is sort of helping me, but so confusing. Um, but there is like a, a law term called res ipsa locator. And we have so many lawyer listeners. I'm sure they're all like, you're an asshole right now. But I, this is what my friend was explaining to me. And that means um, it happened. Therefore, it is. So it's like, we don't know who caused what, but you were harmed. So you are entitled to damages. And this all goes into like tort law and other stuff as well. But I think what the Supreme Court was deciding was, does this aggregate theory like work in this case? Okay. So. After Paraline happened, there was a new law that was passed called the AAVA, which stands for the Amy, Vicky, and Andy Child Pornography Victim Assistant Act of 2018. And that was basically in response to the Paraline decision. And it made things a little bit more specific for victims of child sex abuse images being online. So the four protections that they added were they set a floor of $3,000 in restitution that courts must order defendants to pay for victims. Okay, that's one. It also created a child pornography victims reserved fund with the Federal Crime Victims Fund that basically can give people payments of like $35,000 uh, one-time payment. And then also they can assess uh, defendants as well for 17, 35, or 50,000, depending on the type of child pornography crime. I don't know how they're getting these numbers, but it also clarifies the full amount of the victim's losses for tra for trafficking and child pornography includes it just expands what counts as total losses, which I think is great. And then it also allows the child pornography victims to um, enjoy the same rights as criminal defendants and be able to review all of the um, images in the case, which I don't uh, sounds traumatic, but it helps them prepare expert testimony and identify victims in, in these big cases. So that's a little bit of the legal mumbo jumbo to get back to Amy, her uncle, he was released from prison after 12 years. The guy in the episode died. So he was able to escape most punishment. This guy luckily at least got 12 years punishment, but I don't think it's nearly enough for what he did. Like I said, that's that state um, sentence would be so rare today. The punishment is much harsher. And apparently the average recommended prison term for possession now has jumped to 10 years, even if a defendant has no criminal record and there's no um, evidence that the defendant produced or distributed any of these images 10 years, even for having them. So, you know, the goal of this, of, of these laws is deterrence. I mean, that's what they want. They think that this will deter people to know to be in possession of these images will cost you, you'll pay for it forever. So I don't know if it's working or not because child sex abuse images are rampant on the internet. And then this is something really fucked up that I read that because some child sexual abuse cases still have relatively low penalties in state court, wildly, uh, some defendants will end up serving more time for having an image of the abuse than the person that actually committed the abuse, which is nuts. But, you know, nothing is fair and everything is convoluted in this system. So when her when Amy's uncle did get out of prison. Her lawyer texted her to say where he was staying 
And it was like only a few blocks from where she was. And she said she like almost threw her phone and she was just like, I thought it was so weird. He's got binoculars. He's looking for me. Like she just thought the worst. Her lawyer reminded her that if he contacted her, he would go right back to prison. And that like now that she's an adult, she's honestly not going to be like a target of his pedophilia any longer. But luckily, restitution has allowed Amy to get a lot of counseling and, um, you know, receiving large sums of money. Like you said, the check in the loose purse, like the receiving large sums of money can be complicated. Like apparently when she got her first one hundred and thirty thousand from the Pfizer CEO, she kind of went on a shopping spree and like went to Abercrombie and went ham. And then by the time she got the $1.2 million check, like she was much more like calm and considered and was like, I don't want to like stand out. I live in a small town. I want to just like live comfortably, but not like I'm not buying a Beamer or whatever. So she bought a modest three bedroom house and lives a few miles from her childhood home. And she goes to therapy and says she like could not be doing any of it without her therapist. She lives near her mom and her brother's. She bought a car and she seems to be trying to get back to a regular life. So she does have a good relationship with her mom, like her family. Yeah, because this was an uncle. None of them knew this was happening, I don't think, you know, so she's never gone back into the house where it happened, even though her aunt still lives there. But she's working on it with her therapist that she might one day go. into. But why does she have to? I think like as a closure thing. I don't know. She doesn't have to burn it to the ground. That's what I say. Fucking burn that house. Yeah, I, it's in our sources, but there's a great New York Times article where he speaks to both her and the Nicole victim that I mentioned earlier and like talks about how they both differ in the ways that they deal with it and how they feel about the different laws changing and stuff like that. It's going to be in our sources and our show notes and everything, but it's a wild, horrible case. But I am glad that some of these victims are getting uh, money and she was a huge breakthrough case and people followed her to court, which is great. Like other victims followed her to court and, you know, now there's precedent. So it's good overall. Well, I will say we have a great interview. So as usual, (laughs) as usual, we're going to cleanse your little palate before we leave you today, guys, with an awesome interview. So... All right. We are beyond excited for this next guest. Uh, You may have seen her as the lead in the Broadway musical Next to Normal. She's also been on Gossip Girl, The Good Wife, Chicago Fire, and most recently and famously played Sutton Brady in a show you may have heard of called The Bold Type. Hello. And Uh, I met her. I've met her. Oh, yes. And the reason we found her is because Lisa met her. I saw her at the comedy store and in my heart and head, I went, this bitch is in the Dick Wolf universe. I know it. I know it in my bones. She's got to be Dick Wolf. And she was. And you were right. But you guys know her best as Lacey Unknown or Jenny. Please, guys, enjoy our chat with actress Megan Fahey. Welcome, Megan. Thank you for being here. You are the first guest of the type where we just met in the wild. And then I don't know something about you. I was like, I know this bitch is an SVU. I know it. The moment <laughs> the moment you mentioned you were in Chicago to shoot something, I'm like, she's in the Dick Wolf family. I know it. Um, so this is the thrilling. Wolfiverse. Yeah. <laughs> so exciting. Oh, my God. I'm so happy to be here. Um, <laughs> did you end up rewatching the episode? I just rewatched it. And what, how do you feel? It's honestly <laughs> maybe like this the the second time I've seen it because I just can't I can't handle watching myself. But I was like, I don't even remember what happens. I gotta like quickly <laughs> review before I go into this convo. 
I just see myself and I'm like, God, you were just a small baby. <laughs> How old were you? Uh, I was probably like 19, 19 wow. or 20, maybe. I don't remember what wow. year that came out. That se- what year was that season airing? But I was like, just at the beginning of sort of my acting career, which was why it was so exciting. Cause it was like the thing that I moved to New York to do. Like I, like when I first moved to New York, I would go on like meetings with agents and stuff. And they would ask me what kind of things I wanted to do. And it was so simple for me. I was like, I'd like to do SVU and then I'd like to retire. Like that was it. <laughs> <laughs> the list was that short. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Um, and watching it, were you like, I deserved an Emmy? Like what the fuck? <laughs> of course not. Snubbed. Watching it, I'm like, <laughs> well, how did I get hired for this job? Like I, <laughs> no, you were incredible. Cause like, I don't know if you watch drag race, but Kara and I are big drag race people. And their biggest note on acting challenges when the Queens do bad is like you started a hundred. So there's nowhere to go. And I feel like you really built the emotions and things kept getting worse and worse, but it was mellow and really dramatic. It was just a very good performance. How did you prep for that? Thanks so much. I, <clears throat> I don't know that I, I did prep that much. And I, I'm sort of like embarrassed to say that, but it's sort of true. Like, I just remember I had auditioned for the show, like sincerely a hundred times. Like I was constantly auditioning. Yeah. Because there's so many parts on that show that like so many actors are, you know, I would like run into people there. It was like, I was like, Oh, got another SVU audition. Like, and so I finally got, close to this one. And there was like the callback with the director and the producer and stuff like that. And I did the material and they didn't give me any notes. They were just like, thank you so much for coming in. So I immediately was like, Oh, they're not even considering me because like, to me, I'm like, if you're not giving me a note, it's because you think it's like not even worth like attempting to like, you know, make this, this thing work. Um, so I was kind of like, shocked when I, when I got it. And then the director who was like the coolest, um, Adam Bernstein, I believe was like, so awesome. And was just like, yeah, I just really didn't want to like mess with what you were doing. I kind of liked where you were heading and I I didn't want to get in your head at all. I just kind of wanted to let you like instinctually move through the episode. Wait, so that's really interesting because you must have gone in a million times. You said you went in a hundred times and they must have seen something in you that they liked, but because they waited, you know, like they waited to give you this juicy ass part. I mean, like we were just saying, like, I don't know if we've talked to anybody who's in every scene the way you are in this as a guest star. And it's so special because you have scenes with every detective, the therapist and Barba. It's very rare (laughs) that you get scenes with every single person. I mean, honestly, as a fan of the show for as many years as I have been, I sort of was very, very well sort of versed on like the different kinds of guest star roles that that are, you know, available. And because I had auditioned so many other times for so many other roles, it's funny, like the the audition that I had for SVU right before this one, I passed on because it was only a couple of scenes, which honestly, like I would have played a dead body. Like I just wanted to be on the show, but it was only a couple of scenes and the material was really like tricky. And I just thought, I don't know if this is how I want to like make my SVU debut. So I passed on it. Wow. My agent at the time was like, 
who do you think you are passing <laughs> on this audition? And I was like, I don't know. I just don't think this is it. And then the next audition that came through was for this episode. And of course I was like, can you imagine if I had like gotten any other part, I would have been so grateful and loved it, but I felt so incredibly lucky that this was the way that I got to be on the show. Cause it is such a, it's such an amazing character. And like you said, to get the chance to work with pretty much each amazing person on the show, I was like, Oh my God, I literally can die now. Like I've, I, I did it. Do you have any uh, memorable or fun stories from any of the scenes you shot or just being on set or anything that sticks out? Yeah, I mean, I had this amazing chest tattoo that said One Wild Ride. And I just <laughs> oh, remember I wanted like, to ask you about that. <laughs> yeah, I was really excited about that. They like yellowed my teeth, which was really exciting for me. Um, and at the end of the day, they would ask if I wanted to get the tattoo taken off. And I was like, I think I'm going to keep it. Like, I just kind of wanted to walk out into New York city and like live my life as a person with this tattoo and just see what that felt like. That's what I I have written down. So hair and makeup, just put that wild ride tattoo on you every day. Like I just was so interested, like if you had to get it reapplied every day, but sounds like you took work home with you. Um, take any fun selfies with the tattoo. (laughs) So many, but they're on a really old phone that I don't have anymore. So I don't even know if I can, but oh my God, of course I took so many photos. I got to try to find those. Um, but I guess like my sort of real takeaway though, from that set was like the day that we finished shooting and the the last day was the scene that, um, we shot in the therapist's office when I take off my coat and I'm like in my underwear and then I like collapse into her arms and I'm just, she's like holding me and I'm just like, mom, um, (laughs) she sat with me on set after that for like a half an hour. And just, we just talked and she was like, (gasps) she was like very sweet and complimentary about my work on the show. And she was kind of like, and I was sort of going on and on about how great of an experience it was. And she was like, I'm so glad that you had such a good experience And it's so great that this early in your career, you've had that. She was like, but I also want to remind you that that's not always going to be the case for you moving forward. You're going to be on a lot of other sets with a lot of other people who might not treat you the way that you were treated here. And you may not feel as safe or comfortable as you felt when you were here. And like, she literally just chilled with me and like gave me advice. And I just remember thinking how does this woman have this much to give like season 15 guest star? You know what I mean? Like she's so amazing. I, I think that for me is like the takeaway moment. And I've brought that moment with her with me on so many sets that I've been on and I've been pretty lucky. Like I've had some really lovely experiences, but she really, um, affected me. And, and, and like, we kept in touch after that. She like, sends me Christmas cards and like, is just like a real human. That's like accessible and wonderful. I was like in the, um, where they shoot at Chelsea pier, I was doing a reading for some something. And I emailed her just saying like, I'm back in the building where we were shooting and I'm thinking of you, like, hope you're great. And she was like, Oh my God, come see me. I'm here. Like the show's airing tonight. We're going to watch it in my dressing room. Come hang out. And so I went and sat in her dressing room And she was like watching the show, telling somebody what to tweet for her. And like, 
just like rattling off stuff like and hashtag this and like laughing at like things that had happened. And I literally <laughs> sat there in silence. Like I could not take in what was happening. It felt, I was literally like, say something, say something to her. <laughs> and I literally was just like sitting there grinning. Like, I can't believe I'm sitting in in this dressing room in this situation. It was just, she just is, is truly a, a goddess from another planet. That is, I mean, we have truly heard yeah. every single person come on this podcast and say, she's amazing. She's so lovely. But that is, I got a, chills. A great, I that, <laughs> like I am, my mouth is on the floor. Like, first of all, we know what a hashtag queen she is. That woman loves hashtags. So it's so funny to like envision her just like rattling Firing off hashtags to an assistant. <laughs> I know, <gasps> but she, and then like, I don't even know, like, six, seven years later or something, I was in Monaco doing a TV festival for the bold type. And she was there and she saw me, we were doing like a red carpet situation. And I was like, this many years later, she's not going to remember who I was. And she like immediately saw me. She was like, hi, and came up to me and hugged me. And I was like a little bit more of a person at that point. So I was able to actually hold a conversation with her, but yeah, she, I was so shocked even then that she continued to kind of, and, you know, remember that I was even uh, around. I don't know. It was just so awesome. And then in the episode, not, but, uh, it's like fucked up. Were you sad when you left? Did you have to like go to Dave and Buster's? <laughs> what did you do? Or did you want to <laughs> stay in it? Yeah. How did you handle the subject matter? Well, it was really dark. And I think, I think a lot of sort of the emotion and stuff sort of came from the fact that it had happened and does happen to people. And you, you start sort of, it's almost like an empathy thing where I literally was like overwhelmed by the fact that these are, you know, sort of real stories and stuff like that. I remember shooting the scene with Kelly and, um, Mariska where we're sitting in my apartment and they come to tell me that like the photos are still on the internet. Right. And they were both crying when I was, they were shooting like my coverage and I was, and I felt like, oh my God, like we're all sort of feeling this. It doesn't feel, they didn't feel bored by me, which I was always afraid of. I'm like, God, you know, it must be at some point, like, like boring, like for them, right. I don't know, but to feel like we were all sort of connecting to whatever was happening was like such a, um, such a cool feeling. The weird thing is like, at the end of a job, at the end of any job, there's always this like little depressive phase that you go through, especially at that point. Cause I was like really not working that often. So it was like so exciting that I was getting up for like a week or whatever, every day and going to do, to go to work. So I think that combination of things, you always, I always get a little sad and depressed after something is over. Cause it's just totally, yeah. But I don't really have like a, a thing that I do. Usually I buy myself a present. Yes. Would you that kind of helps? I don't know that I did it then because I really didn't have any extra doll hairs to like be buying myself <laughs> anything. I just was like banking it. But um yeah. I I didn't really start buying myself stuff until like a few years ago. I highly recommend it. Oh, you don't have to tell me twice. That's I'll very buy, Lisa. Yeah. yeah. Very buy, Lisa energy. <laughs> I like having memories. Um, and I always uh, buy stuff for myself to remember. 
cool things. Yeah. It's so smart. Yeah. Well, bold type just ended. That was five seasons. Were you, did you buy something? Did you buy big? yourself a car? What did you buy yourself? I actually did buy a car. Hell okay. yeah. Yeah, Hell I yeah. did. I have never owned a car. Of course, I, I didn't need one when I lived in New York for 10 years, but I've been in LA for the last, like since the pandemic, pretty much. And I bought a Tesla. Wow. Okay. Which, yeah, I know. It was kind of, I was like trying to lease something. And then I was like, well, I think I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to buy this car that I like. What color? It's like a dark gray. Nice. Ooh. Yeah. Is it the small little sedan or is it the one that looks a little bit more like a small SUV? It's that one, the small SUV that one. one. Okay. Not the one with the Batman doors. The yeah, one that right. looks like that one, but like a little smaller. Okay. Do you like hands-free? Do you do the thing? You know I do. Every, wow. time, I'm on the, every time I'm on the highway. The weird thing is I don't like doing it when someone else is in the car with me. I can really only do it when I'm by myself. Otherwise, I feel like this weird pressure or responsibility yeah. that like the other person's not going to be comfortable or something. But it is the best feature. Really? I feel like I'd be so scared. Yes. It's great. I, it makes me nervous, but... It can be. It can be nerve wracking. It took me a little while to get used to it. But imagine being in like slow LA traffic, just sitting there, not having to do anything. If you're going slow and you're not yeah, worried if about you're like, like bumper to bumper. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's just nice to not have to like always be touching the pedal and stuff. And it comes to you. I've been in one. I was in Tom Papa's car and like he on his phone pressed something and then the car drove to us. Oh, and you then can we got summon it. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can summon it. What the hell? I didn't know that. You can summon it. I don't know how to do that. <gasps> Too good. And then personal question. Did what did Danny Pino look hot? Was he good looking? <laughs> can I be honest? When I just rewatched the episode, like minutes before we started talking, I was like, Danny Pino. Oh <laughs> yeah. my God. Like, yeah. where is he now? Like, yes, the answer is yes. He's He's on a show called the Mayans on FX or called Mayans. It's like a, I think it's a spinoff of sons of anarchy. It's about like motorcycle gangs or whatever. But, um, so he's working and he is I, very hot, but people hate his character. I think that's why he doesn't get as much like drool as like, you know, Stabler or like sometimes people really like Carisi and stuff, but because his character is kind of a dick, but he's really, really hot. I mean, a 10. And then we kind of jumped right into like, what made you want to start acting and then do it and training and stuff? I, so I actually didn't ever want to be an actor. I grew up singing my whole life and I wanted to be a singer. I had graduated from high school and my mom found out about this open call in New York for at the time, what was Spider-Man the musical? Oh yeah. I remember that was like a whole thing. A whole thing. <laughs> so I went to an open call and like did the whole like wait in line for six hours and sing like, you know, 15 seconds of a song. And there was this casting director there, Bernie Telsey, and I sang for him. And I left. And a couple of weeks later, he called me back in to audition for the show called Next to Normal to be the understudy. And it was going out of town in Washington, D.C. And I would drive back and forth with my parents from Massachusetts, two and a half hours, audition, turn around, drive home. And then the third time I went, they told me to like wait in the waiting room and they came out and Bernie was like, they want you to do it. He was like, so if you want to take a semester off from college, it's supposed to start that fall. 
he was like, this is a really great creative team. It could be a really cool experience for you. And then you could just go to school, you know, a semester later. He was like, but the show is really heavy. It's like, you know, it's about mental illness and a lot of people don't like it. And it's definitely not going to Broadway. But I was like, yeah, no, there was like no question. I was like, of course I'm doing this. So I, I had applied to school and I just sort of deferred everywhere that I had been accepted to. Cause I didn't really even know what I wanted to study. Like I didn't want to study singing. And anyway, that's what brought me to New York. And then of course the show ended up going to Broadway. And then the girl who originated the role left to go do Spider-Man and I took over for her and made my Broadway debut. And that's kind of how the whole thing started. Wow. Long Meadows own hitting <laughs> Broadway. I love it. Go-to karaoke song. Favorite karaoke song is actually Stan by Eminem. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> do you do the Dido part too? You know, when I can, <laughs> when I can fit it in, <laughs> but that song is, uh, you know, requires a lot of, of breath, breath work, a lot of breath work. <laughs> oh, what a dream. She's so cool. We're going to hang out with her in LA, right? Isn't that the plan? Gonna, I hope so. Right in that Tesla. Yeah. We got a text. We got to set up a fun little celeb hang. It would be a thrill just to throw this out there as well. Keep an eye out for a movie that Megan has coming up called Unbreakable Boy. And that's coming out early next year. So that it's, she told us a little bit about it. And it sounds awesome. And sometimes you meet people that are just so beautiful that they could be full-blown cunts. And they choose not to be. And yeah. it's nice. You know, it's yeah. a nice lesson. Just because you got <laughs> it doesn't mean you have to be the worst. <laughs> well, and I like that you met her at the comedy store. Like, she's into comedy. And, like, she, she seems like she's fun. Yeah. She is. Um, so what did we learn from today's episode? The world, the horrors are never ending of the world that we live in. Never ending. And how are people so good at technology? What is the dark web? The, this postmortem is not what I learned, but what what it, I need to know. <laughs> like, what is the dark web? How do you what yeah. is what is it? What? What? It, I think you're just like a doctor. OK, you're a, you're a trucker. Or who is the guy at the end of the court case? Like the delivery truck guy? Yeah. And like in the real one, it's like an ambulance driver. And it's okay. like, do, do how did you, you yeah. find this? How did you find the inner workings of like child abuse images deep into the, I can't sync my calendar from my laptop and my phone together. I went to college and these people <laughs> are finding depths and darkness of the W world. I don't get it. Well, can I ask you something? Cause I watched something on a plane one time. I want to know what you think about this. Cause this episode really reminded me of this. Like there's this, there's this phenomenon happening now of child sex abuse images that are computer generated. Like they're not actually any real children. And like people are saying the idea of if we could just circulate these, it would be like the, the pedophiles and people that like this kind of stuff would sort of get their itch scratched and not have to actually take photos and abuse actual children. What do you think? Is that just like putting a Band-Aid on a horrible, on like pedophilia? I mean, but like pedophilia is not going anywhere. We're not it's solving not. pedophilia. This is interesting. Well, because I want, I wonder if this would work. And I wonder how many of these people are just sadists though, too. And like having the people go through pain. Sure. And torture is part of the kink for them. I wonder. But I remember I, someone told me in Japan, you can buy like um, limbless baby sex dolls. 
I know. Jesus Christ. I, but I was kind of on board. To me, I'm like, okay, if you're a, if you're a pedophile freak, like you can fuck one of these sex baby dolls. I don't know. Yeah. I was okay with it. So I guess I have to be okay with computer generated children, but also yeah. castrate these people. <laughs> Is that too much too Soviet of me? I think if you're a pedophile, I think the technology should like, if you, they should put nodes on your head. And if you're attracted to children, you get your dick cut off. Not your dick, just your balls. Just your balls. Does your dick still get a boner if the balls are gone? I don't know the balls. It's like a snips. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, you can't get hard. I think they do a thing where you can't get hard. And that's what oh, the point is. Because then you can't like a fuck. chemical castration, right? There actually is an SVU about this appearances that uh, we'll probably do in the future where where uh, they touch on all this, like the CGI children and the the chemical castration and stuff. So, like yes, that, that's so. season four. No, I mean, anything that helps save children is great. And I don't I wish I had more education on like, does this make people want more? Does it get them so riled yeah. up that they will hurt a kid? Because. I don't but know. I do wonder, I wonder if all this legislation like that we spoke about in the episode and, and the and the financial repercussions are actually deterrents for like, like, pedof like, do you think people that like collect child sex abuse images, they probably it's in their best interest to like get rid of them quickly and not have them in case they get caught because it's like you get five years per image and all this stuff. You know, I wonder if that's it's not going to last because the people that make fear. the laws fully are all pedophiles. Mm. Matt, that's the thing. People like Matt Gates make the rules, and then guys everywhere are like, "Well, those are the rules." And it's like, why are we looking to the government filled with creeps yeah. for your morality? And that's actually uh, touched on in the season uh, premiere of season twenty three, where there's a congressman who is, you know, raping underage girls and. It's fucked. I mean, it's definitely very, very house of cards and very ripped from the headlines. What's so fucked is I still have not watched the premiere of the new season and I have an SVU I, podcast. I, we're so, I mean, we're, we're, we're busy bees. It's okay. We're busy bees. I'm having meetings. I'm going to catch up though. I'm, I, 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 I actually watched, I've, I've seen the first half. That's the thing. The first one was two hours. So nice. It's a lot. And I got to get going on OC too. I guess on the good, this is a very Mr. Rogers thing, but. I guess there are people that are working really hard constantly to make sure these pedophiles are not around, you know, like that FBI guy being like, we've been searching for her for decades. You yeah. know, like we have to hopefully there are really good people that are working on this, not just Ashton Kutcher. <laughs> yeah. And honestly, it's like what we talked about, what we've talked about so many times. It's like most of the time, this is not some guy in a van picking up your kid and taking them to go do a photo shoot. This is someone in your life, someone that you know, your brother, your neighbor who is molesting your kids. So just trust your gut. I, there's a mom in my mom group who posted something and was like, there's a person in my community who is talking to my daughter in a way that's making me very uncomfortable and it feels like grooming. And it's like, trust your gut. It probably is like, just keep an eye out for the people in your children's lives. That's all. Yeah, that's what and, I take away and notice the symptoms. So like in this um, episode, the mom is like, my seven year old's trying to suck Santa's dick. What a whore. And it's like, yeah, well, OK, no, 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 no. If your kid wants to suck Santa's dick, intervene and find out why they know about sucking dick. You exactly. Know? Like, there needs to like instead of just saying someone's a slut or depressed or a cat, like or, oh, she's a cutter, like something's going on. 
maybe something might be going on and maybe uh, look into it. And yeah, that mom <laughs> in the mom group, don't fucking let anyone talk to your fucking kid. <laughs> Um, well, that segues us, I think, pretty nicely into what would Sister Peg do, which you guys know is our weekly segment where we give you guys resources, books, articles, organizations that uh, shed more light on one of the subjects that we touched on in today's episode. And this week, we're going to highlight the FBI's Child Pornography Victim Assistance Program, uh, which is abbreviated to CPVA. It's kind of a long website. It's www.fbi.gov slash resources slash victim dash services slash CPVA. Please check our show notes. And uh, as always, we put all of our What Would Sister Pegs uh, up on our stories on our Instagram. And there is a highlight that you can press called uh, WWSPD. And that has all of our sister pegs that we've done since we started this podcast. So you can always page through there and get links that way. But the uh, this CPVA, their program serves as a central repository for information on the identified victims in distributed child sex abuse material. So um, they notify victims of the times that their victimization has been seized they're advised of their rights. They're, they're provided with services. So I think this sounds like an amazing program for that the FBI is responsible for. You reading all that reminded me of another po- part of the episode of like how much, it fu- you know, it's like, why did she stay or why did someone do it or why didn't they know it's wrong? And it's like this character didn't even know and this is life to her where she was like, don't yell at uh, Amaro. He that's going to make him angry. And it's like whole inner beings of people are wired from this abuse. And like, yeah, uh, that's why they keep staying or picking these terrible partners. And it's just like, I wish we were just more compassionate towards people. But, you know, what a great resource. Yeah. So the CPVA is actually this great initiative that coordinates with like various federal agencies, the U.S. Attorney's Office, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. So they've got some good resources and their website has a lot more information. And like I said, that will be in our show notes and on our Instagram. And join us next week. We will be doing Holden's Manifesto, season 16, episode four. And it's a creepy one. So yeah. People ask us for that baby all the time. Do they really? So, yeah, you're getting it. Yeah, we've gotten a lot of Holden Man- Holden's Manifesto requests. Yeah, get your Hulu going, get your Peacock running, and um, we can't wait to see you next week. Bye-bye. That's Messed Up is an Exactly Right production. If you have compliments you'd like to give us or episodes you'd like us to cover, shoot us an email at thatsmessedappod at gmail.com. Follow the podcast on Instagram at thatsmessedappod and on Twitter at messeduppod. And follow us personally at Kara Clank and at Glitter Cheese. As always, please see our show notes for sources and more information. Thank you so much to SVU Superfan and our incredible producer, Hannah Kyle Creighton. And to our sound engineer and personal hero, Annalise Nelson. And to Henry Kapersky for our theme song. To Carly Jean Andrews for our artwork. Thanks to our executive producers, Georgia Hardstark, Karen Kilgariff, Danielle Kramer, and everybody at Exactly Right Media. Listen, subscribe, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an advertiser interested in advertising on our show, go to midroll.com slash ads. Dun, dun. dun. <laughs> <laughs>